1: Hey, everybody, Patrick Connor here, and welcome to the Knuckles and Gloves podcast. Boxing history with a little bit of a twist because we are back with another kind of revisiting with my boy, friend Jonathan Butler, author and filmmaker. Talk about Muhammad Ali and Ken Norton today, man.
2: How are you? I'm good, and this was fun to jump into. I had never watched all three of these fights. I never watched any of these three fights all the way through before, so I just thought, what is here like what in this this career of Ali's how do I know that this series that apparently was one of the hardest opponents for him career-wise so so I'm excited to get into it. it it was a bit of a slog they're not the most exciting of fights it's sort of like you're reading fucking Tolstoy or something like you you know you're supposed to but it's it's not necessarily candy by any means but it it I think will provide us a lot of jumping off points to some interesting discussions about other all-time great fighters where, like I think Ali is, they're kind of simultaneously underrated and also overrated when we consider them against all the other all-time greats in a way. And and Norton's style and what he represents in this trilogy and the controversy, I think bears that out.
1: Yeah, it's um it was definitely a very Not the most entertaining trilogy to watch. That's for sure. But at the same time, very interesting because there's a lot of history around everything going on in there. uh, A lot leading up to it. There's a lot that happened between the fights too. Not the first two, but the second and the third, especially. Um, And Ken Norton in his own right, it was a very, very good fighter. And probably also in in a way himself underrated and overrated. Uh, But, but these fights with Ali have a lot to do with that. Just to kind of fit in a stylistic puzzle so well with somebody so great, Uh, or at least, you know, in the perception of so many, so great. Uh, It's really interesting. It's really interesting to kind of figure out where Ken Ken Norton fits into the entire equation in the 1970s and whatnot, uh, especially with the heavyweight picture. And so, Yeah, it was really interesting to go through these fights because I remember watching the first one, but it was a long time ago. And my own small slice of like personal uh, attachment to this is that my dad was actually at the first fight with his friend. uh, And he gave me, it's up behind me, it's tough to see, but he gave me his ticket stub and then I have his program over here. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's, I wasn't there. That doesn't mean anything for me, but still pretty cool. And it did happen in San Diego and Ken Norton was one of the few fighters who, while not from San Diego, he resettled in San Diego. He's a Marine and there's a big Marine, uh, core Depot there in San Diego and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he fought a lot in San Diego around this time and got fairly well known and boxing actually happened regularly in San Diego at this time. So That's the only reason why that even matters, because it doesn't much anymore. But in any case, very interesting trilogy to watch and something where I think like, I feel like towards the end of this, maybe we'll be hopefully clearing it up a little bit. You know, there's a lot of confusion, a lot of controversy.
2: A lot of controversy. I mean, One of the things I just want to start off saying, which is funny, is when we think about Ken Norton and Ali, it seems like they're from completely different generations, doesn't it? And they're about a year and a half apart in age. In, and,
1: and in a way they kind of are because they seem to peak at different times, but it's also, that's an interesting conversation.
2: Yeah. Right. Cause I mean, I mean, Norton begins his professional boxing career. As you mentioned, he's in the Marines. He's a spectacular athlete. Uh, and this guy genetically does not look like a lot of athletes, let alone boxers at this time, but he has his first pro fight in 1967. So Ali gets out of the gate so much earlier but I completely contextualize them as if they're from different generations. I mean, Ali, I still think of primarily as as the, the greatness of what he demonstrated was all in the 60s, him and his athletic peak. I don't mean like what he accomplished in the 70s. Obviously, that was tremendous. But when I think of how great he was, the way right. old timers talk about him, like, oh, he was a different guy after the Vietnam controversy. Um, with Norton, you just totally think of him as a 70s guy, you know, with Foreman and, and then this great this great trilogy and Jerry Quarry and, and that whole, I mean, even knocks out Dwayne Bobbick, which is kind of, again, I'm thinking like Teofilo Stevenson, 70s fighter sort of thing. Um, so that was interesting just at the outset is as these guys get in there, you're thinking of Ali as this elder statesman of boxing. And there's a little more than a year and a half separating them. And Ali is quite overweight relative to sort of, again, young Ali. He looks very different. He is a five-to-one favorite going into the fight. He's wearing one of these tremendous Elvis Presley rhinestone robes that he's never going to wear again after the loss. Uh, But there's so much um, bluster that he has that I, I mean, that was something that struck me about this trilogy is he is surviving the entire trilogy. He's almost never confident when they get to the center of the ring and they're really exchanging, he is regularly out jabbed, which kind of blew me away. Uh, Every jab that's hitting him is snapping his head back in a way that he almost never lands anything meaningful against Norton, the entire trilogy. Not saying he doesn't land, but like nothing that hurts Norton Norton at the end of every fight looks like nothing has happened kind of thing. And I don't think I've ever seen Ali take so much punishment like the body shots, you see him doubled over in the third fight from a body shot. I've never seen Ali hurt from a body shot. And apart from the famous breaking his jaw, uh, the amount that he's hit from looping right hands and hooks and the pace and style and careful strategy that Norton, Norton implements is fascinating about how frustrating it is for Ali that you're not even surprised, Ali said later on, I don't know that I never want to fight him again. I just don't think I can beat him. I don't know how to beat this guy after three fights. Like, there were some quotes that were very un like about his greatness. And when you watch the three fights, you get it. Like, this is so frustrating for him. It reminded me a lot of Floyd Mayweather against Castillo. Even the second fight, which he clearly won. Narrow, very, very narrow victory. Um, just how some styles basically make you question how deified fighters might actually do if they confronted a style that was a little more challenging i thought there was a bit of like duran leonard to this where if leonard fights him the way duran wants to fight him i don't know how well he's gonna do
1: yeah a a little bit of like a busting of the mythos
2: yeah, anyway. yeah, 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 yeah. Which which doesn't take anything away from Ali. We're talking about the greatest, but it still was nonetheless interesting to look see him look pedestrian against a fighter that nobody is saying is in really the top thirty all time great heavyweights. And Ali does not look great and doesn't know how to to find an answer to almost anything that Norton is doing. The best he can do is get up on his toes, which he rarely does in this trilogy, and dance around and keep him off him but he's definitely not able to answer any of the problems that Norton's giving him. He just knows how to sort of delay the problem at best. So I, I thought it was fascinating.
1: <clears throat> in, I'm I'm not sure if you ever encountered this or ever read about this, but there's this urban legend about Ken Norton that when he was in high school, can't tell you which high school it was. Don't remember that he was supposedly so good at track and field And I think one other sport that he had won so many events that they created something called the Norton rule that you couldn't compete in more than one event because he was so good. He was winning all the events. Now, of course, I looked this up and I could not find a single actual factual thing about it in any newspaper apart from, and I'm kind of just like, look, dude, if you're like a high school principal and you got some reporter calling you up and they're like, Hey, is this true about something? And I'd be like, fuck yeah, it's true. Now give us some money for it. You know, something it's like I could envision a scenario like that. But anyway, point being, whether it's true or not, Ken Norton really was a tremendous athlete and he was somebody who picked up boxing almost like on a whim. Uh, So he, when you consider that, that's really amazing. um. But then going back to Ali, like you had said, kind of where you had left off there, and the mythos of Ali, the aura of Ali, and not to say it wasn't deserved, it was deserved 100%. And his stature, you know, among the people like he just his his celebrity status and how known he was, what he had done for civil rights movements. Uh, Now, of course, we can view it with a far more complex eye, uh, decades on, and we can say, you know, he's not 1,000% hero. He did a lot of things that were very bad and wrong. Um, But nonetheless, yes, looking at it through the lens of this time, in the early 1970s, especially after he had already been humbled by Joe Frazier in 1971, and, you know, in an, in a tremendous fight, it wasn't like he embarrassed himself in that fight by any means, but at the same time, he, his, he had already lost and he had, that was kind of like the popping of the balloon initially, like that deflation, but he, he came back and he defeated some very good fighters. Jimmy Ellis, Buster Mathis was a good fighter. If not, you know, somebody who was very lazy and you know, did not live up to what he should have lived up to. Mac Foster, uh, also a good fighter. George Chevallo, good fighter. Jerry Quarry, a very good fighter. And so, you know, he had defeated some some good fighters going back into uh, a fight against a fairly unknown Ken Norton by this time. By this time, uh, many people expected Muhammad Ali. This was kind of like a num- another fight in the Ali showcase. You know, they uh, he was kind of on this string where he fought... Just going down the list here, Vegas, excuse me, State Line, Madison Square Park, Dublin, Vegas again, Vancouver, uh, Vancouver, Canada, uh, Tokyo, Zurich, and I mean, it's just like he's just it's kind of on this world tour where he's, where he's trying to get into the good graces of the people again. After losing to Joe Lewis, he's sporting around the NABF heavyweight title, which everybody acknowledges doesn't is not the heavyweight title. But he's trying to, you know, he's trying to defend it as if it is. And he's saying, like, look, you know, I'm the heavyweight champion again and I need to fight Joe Frazier and blah, blah, blah. So in any case, uh, that's kind of Ollie's line going into this fight, whereas Ken Norton, again, unknown. And so many people were not expecting much from Ken Norton.
2: Yeah, and, and I mean, I had in my notes what you were talking about before about the Norton rule. He went to Jacksonville, Illinois, and his track coach entered him into seven events in track, or sorry, eight events, and he came in first in seven of them. So allegedly, that's where the, the so-called Ken Norton rule began, um, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Ali, Ali, it's it's important for people who were not around that era, I mean, neither of us were, <laughs> I mean, I was born like like just a year before he retired, but I mean, Ali now is deified as this tremendous civil rights hero, kind of Nelson Mandela in boxing trunks in a way, and yet was very happy to meet with the Ku Klux Klan, was pro-segregation, um, had really ugly views about women, and signed off on Malcolm X, his best friend, getting murdered. So there is a lot to complicate his legacy.
1: Um, and, and of course, he also he also went back on much of this far later in his life and was like, did. "Fuck all that." So I mean, I it, which further kind of gives gives it more complexity. So yeah, you
2: know. and that's all I'm saying. It's 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 not like he's not one of the most lovable faces on earth. Like clearly, he is that. Um, but. He was tremendously manipulated at the same time, like as much courage as he showed in the ring, there was not a lot of courage standing up to the insanity of the nation of Islam that were robbing him blind and manipulating him. A lot of his really famous quotes are actually him quoting people he represented at the nation for the nation of Islam, like as a mouthpiece about them so. Ali is complex. He's he's a, a really complex character. I, I think he kind of like Mike Tyson afterwards, who sort of inherited the mantle of super famous boxer. Um, there are ways in which he is very gullible and cowardly in standing up to people and then a, a huge amount of courage in other areas and a huge amount of intelligence in other areas. I mean, a- Ali was tested for the army and and was just on the brink of like mental retardation kind of thing, like in terms of his IQ. And yet clearly he is such a tremendous spokesman for millions of people with sort of where he was coming from from his heart and stuff like that. Um, But we have to remember that in his time, he was very controversial, as was Martin Luther King in terms of how hated he was in America to where he is today. Um, It is interesting how those things turn. And I think it's important just to recognize the mechanics that happen with how we how the perception changes after death in a lot of, when they become safe in a lot of ways, which Ali did toward the end when he couldn't say anything. Where I'd recommend people read Mark Cram's book about Ali, which is very critical, but it's a good thing to balance against the deification of many other books. I think in many ways, like Tom Houser's book, which is a great book to read, also like a, largely an oral history, um, provides sort of a counterbalance to that, which no wonder hauser hates cramps book or or at least very negatively reviewed it um so i think where where norton comes in
1: negatively he negatively reviewed my book too so i can join that fucking (laughs) that pantheon
2: yeah so so yeah i think i think norton is a very interesting character coming into this fight as you mentioned i found it fascinating again just how different the times are is that ali after losing to Frazier, and i i didn't remember this is he fought 10 times in two years. So when we think about
1: like I said, it was like he was doing like a world tour. It was yeah. it wasn't like he was just, you know, and and some of them were good fighters.
2: Some of them were very good fighters. I mean, I, I don't know if you mentioned, but also like Chevallo, you mentioned Quarry, Floyd Patterson is in there, Bob Foster. Uh, Ali was not taking safe opponents. Like when you look at some of the fights that Mayweather was taking at the end of his career, once he had the availability of dictating who he was fighting and when he was fighting them, that was not Ali. Ali fought everybody, and he fought everybody at very difficult times, and if he had a struggle with somebody like Norton, he fought a trilogy with them. like I mean, and that's, and an that's like, is
1: something you can say for him. Like you could say absolutely. he might have lost or he didn't look good or you know robbed or whatever. But he fought him three times. It wasn't like he was trying to avoid him.
2: And and the thing with Ali also is even in the, in these three fights where he looks bad relative to our conception of how magnificent Ali is, what does he do? But he shows you. He clearly has one of the best chins ever. He takes shots after breaking his jaw from this guy, comes right fucking back to fight him again, and he gets wailed on in these fights. And it's not just the jaw stuff. There is in the third fight, about midway through, he takes a body punch where he doubles over. And I've never seen Ali take a body punch that he even acknowledged. But in this, you see him double over. And these are shots that look like the kind of shots that like dropped Arturo Gatti from Mickey Ward uh, or like Roy Jones Jr. with that famous shot against what was the name, Vince. Am I getting the name? You know, the famous body no, shot. No, um,
1: that was a, uh, oh my gosh.
2: Freddie Roach fighter.
1: Uh, a former light Virgil, heavyweight Virgil Hill. Champion, Virgil, Virgil Hill. Virgil Hill, yeah.
2: So there is there is like 40 of those punches that Norton lands with full like Torque leverage. Yeah, that's a two hundred
1: and ten pound muscular, like full grown guy. Yeah, you
2: know, that's just fucking laying into Ali. And the one I'm talking about in the third fight lit, hits him clean with his arm extended, right right in the stomach and the side of the stomach. Like should just instantly end the fight, kind of thing. Ali doubles over for a second and is right back on his toes, dancing around it. It is staggering because what he's showing you is not just that the chin is superhuman or anything, it's the willpower, it's just the courage and the guts. So even when he's not the athletic phenom that he was in the 60s and slows down and a that's bit,
1: that's what makes him the greatest.
2: And that's what makes him the greatest. So that's, what, as I say, in terms of at his best, where there's all these arguments could he have beaten Tyson at his best or, or all these other generational fighters? Well, if he's not the phenom, there's this others. I mean, he used to say that the older alley would have beat the younger alley. And I've heard a lot of trainers make that point. I don't know, because in this fight, it definitely gives a lot of ammunition to boy, this guy could not punch worth a shit or, or, or like, wh- what is going on that he looks so slow in these fights. He's only 31. When we think about other fighters looking, you know, here we go. Like Golovkin is around the corner at 40, or or how many other fighters in their late thirties where they may slow down a bit, but boy, like when Ali slowed down, he slowed down. I mean, the only punch he has here where you're impressed with his offense is his lead. Right. It's, it, it reminded me a lot of like Michael Jordan with the turnaround jumper that he adapted to as he got old, that's Ali's like turnaround jumper. And basically everything else looks, you're like, is it, is it kind of slow motion? Is there something not quite right here with like the, the YouTube that I'm watching this fight because he looks so slow and and also just the impact of his power. I couldn't believe that he was not able to land. Like when he's landing really clean shots with intent, it does nothing to Norton. And Norton yeah. has a great chin, but you kind of go back to some of the things that Joe Frazier said about him in terms of fighting Ali versus Foreman and just being like Foreman... Foreman hits you, you're in trouble. Ali can't, can't break grapes with how he punches. And it just makes, again, makes you think if Ali in his prime was fighting other great guys in their prime and you're not able to really slow them down. And that's what, that's what these three fights look like is Norton's pressure. All Ali can really do is run, run and stick and move. But the moment they're actually in an exchange, Ali doesn't really get the better of almost any of them. Like a few times, but a few times in 39 rounds, does not, I would you wouldn't think I was talking about the greatest fighter of all time. You just kind of like, well, Ken Norton's not a great fighter. What's going on?
1: Yeah. He, he did look very slow and so slow that even, uh, so during the first fight in San Diego was in, uh, was it 1972? I believe 73, sorry, 73. Yeah. Go down to it. So i don't make a mistake again then. Uh, yeah. So 1973 San Diego during the first couple rounds, Howard Cosell saying, wow, Ali sure looks slow. You know, he's sitting there going on with his Howard Cosell shit and he's sitting and he's like, uh, going over to, who is it? Um, uh, Angie Dundee. And he's saying, Angie, what's going on? Why is, why does he look so slow? And he's like, oh, come on. You'll look after this exchange. (laughs) What are we going to see after this exchange, Angie? Nothing happens. Of course, Ali just looks slow. And a lot of that though. I mean, part of it was Ali looking slow. He'd gone through already a lot by 1973, as we said. But um, uh, another portion of that was so Eddie Futch, Joe Frazier's trainer, uh, he was really the kind of the mastermind behind a lot of the strategy in uh, behind Joe Frazier defeating Muhammad Ali and then later Ken Norton defeating Muhammad Ali. And so he taught Joe Frazier about Ali's lack of right uppercut. He said, uh, when Ali throws a right uppercut, that it's not a real right uppercut. He reaches with it and loops with it too much, and there's an opportunity to hit him with a left hook when he does it, either before, during, after, whatever. And that also, if you bend down low against Muhammad Ali or, or anybody tall, for that matter, it's forcing them to give up their height to try to hit you, and then they're open to be hit. And so Futch said, jab with Ali, as long as your hand is positioned correctly. And if you're watching on YouTube, you'll you'll be able to see it here. If not, then you'll have to imagine... But one of the things that they said was that uh, when you have your guard up, you're not supposed to have it like this, like a lot of people do. You're supposed to have your rear hand in front of your chin, or at least somewhere around your chin. Because when your opponent is, especially if they're also right-handed, assuming you are, trying to jab with you, then you can parry their jab and also be open to counter with your jab at the same time or jab with them, you know, as you parry. And so that was something that Eddie Futch taught both Frazier and Norton, but Norton to a larger degree because Frazier wasn't a big jabber. You know, he more worked off of that Bob and Weeb technique where Norton was kind of more of a jabber. And so in any case, uh, this combination of strategies, and I don't want to get too bogged down in the strategic shicks. I know a lot of people don't like it, But this is important to understanding why Ali had difficulty with Ken Norton, in addition to him being kind of worn down from already having a bit of a career to this point and having a a number of very difficult fights to this point. So, again, uh, finally, it's it's the third round of their first fight. It wasn't until the third round that Ali was really even up on his toes at all. And when he got up on his toes and started jabbing, and it was, he was even not even, even for that long, but the crowd went nuts. It's funny, you know, because <laughs> you think about, uh, generally speaking, you're entertained by a slug fest and you want to see fighters slug it out. And there actually were some, some kind of slugging moments in, in a couple rounds of these three fights. But at the same time, uh, Ollie getting up on his toes and dancing and the crowd going nuts for that, that also speaks to Ollie's, celebrity and superstardom inside of the ring too that he could do something that's generally kind of you know thought of as bad you don't want to see it and the crowd went nuts Uh, it was short lived though so it's just that Norton was doing a very good job of jabbing with Ali and catching his jab moving him back with double jabs stuff like that and Ali couldn't get away from it like you said it was his head was being knocked back with jabs which is not something you see from Ali that often
2: yeah, I mean a few things. I agreed. Like just get just to get it out of the way. Ali and Norton have the same reach, and it causes Ali a lot of problems because he can't get away with stuff that he could do with other people. So Norton fights very much like a a six foot three Joe Frazier, except two things: has the same reach as Ali, but same amount of like engine as Frazier. Not the same. Frazier is unprecedented, but but the pressure is there. And unlike Frazier, who had virtually no right hand whatsoever. Um, Norton has a tremendous right hand and he's sneaky with it. He loops with it all the time where Ali at this stage in his career at 31, a little overweight, it's 229 pounds here. He's going to lose 10 pounds for the second fight. Ali having his hands down is relying on leaning back, but he's relying on leaning back as if he's fighting somebody like Frazier who can't really reach him without jumping at him. Norton can reach him. Norton has a bit better timing than Ali. And Ali's feet are slower than he thinks they are in terms of being able to measure the distance from Norton. So you're seeing Norton over and over and over again snapping Ali's head back with jabs. And also, unlike Foreman, like what you're going to see with the thrill and manila, not thrill manila, rather, the, the Zaire fight, is that. I thought this was an interesting parallel. I was listening to a World War II expert talking about the veracity of World War II movies. And he brought up two points that reminded me uh, uh, for, this, for this fight, two, two instances. One is that when you watch Dunkirk and you're watching the pilot scenes, which are my favorite that I've ever seen, those planes had about 14 and a half seconds worth of ammunition per flight. That's it. So when you're thinking about dogfights that last for half an hour, or are just sitting there pulling the trigger. That is not how it worked. Dogfights were quick in terms of the firing because you had 14 seconds. Similarly, you watch Saving Private Ryan and they're storming the beach. If you pull your trigger and there's like 1500 bullets coming out of that gun, you have to be disciplined about how you're pulling the trigger or the gun literally melts down very quickly. And yeah. so, what, what's really interesting in context, or
1: you're out of ammunition in like or you're out 14 of fourteen seconds because so because it's like automatic firing and you don't realize right. that yeah
2: right right right. So I bring this up because when you think about the foreman approach to fighting Ali, it's just guns blazing and he's gassed and really he's beaten and knocked out because he's gassed. He has nothing left. You're just gonna you know push him over. Fully to Ali's credit. But he can't do it against Norton why because Norton is too disciplined yep he's in too good a shape and he is very also very selective in his array of punches with Ali in a way that Ali never figures out the the body shots are vicious the moment Ali starts preparing for them he's coming up to the head the hook is reaching him the looping right hand is reaching him all the time and if he goes to the ropes. Ali never is able to do what he did against Foreman and tire Norton out because Norton is not punching just to throw punches, hoping that something lands. It's strategic the entire time. And at a distance, his timing with the jab is often better than Ali's. If Ali is on his toes, which is like five or six rounds of the total trilogy is what he's capable of doing. He's able to like control the real estate of the fight and essentially control the fight But other than that, when they're just jabbing at each other, Norton has the harder jab and he has the more intelligent jab in terms of how he's timing Ali. So you have the 80 inch reach, which Ali doesn't really know how to deal with. He's not able to kind of pin the head down the way he was against Frazier to offset the pressure that Frazier is putting on him. So Norton is able to, be a lot more dangerous than fraser was especially in that second fight which was criminal that fraser was allowed to to be blowjobbed in you know blowjob position the entire fight without really yeah. any, any recourse against ali um ali's defense of having the lower hands i've never seen it more exploited than by norton is is the leaning back is not going to work against the guy whose whose offense is this intelligent um and and I also think you you raised that last thing is that Ali tries to get a lot of purchase with his clowning and his charisma. And so you, you're right that you hear the crowd kind of cheering him when he's doing these silly dance moves and stuff like that, you know, the little shimmy and it, it's cute or whatever, but it's kind of covering something in this fight that is not in any way affecting Norton's performance against him. It's not psyching him out. It's generally pissing him off. Norton fights better pissed off. He fights fine when he's not pissed off and he's disciplined. But when he's getting angry, he's not losing his energy. There's not really a stamina issue with Norton in any of these fights. There's a huge stamina issue with Ali in all of these fights. (laughs) Even when he's in great shape. Um, He is aware that if he makes mistakes, he's really going to pay for it in a way that Norton becomes very aware that he's not really going to pay for much if he fucks up. Because Ali, Ali, if he commits to punches where he could actually hurt Norton, is leaving himself open to stuff that could knock him out.
1: And that's precisely what happens yeah, well, and yeah, that's yeah. precisely what happens is he does he does at a few points in that first fight, really try to commit. and it, I think there's one round later on i I'd have to look at my notes where he catches Norton with a right hand and Norton looks like maybe he's slightly wobbled or something like that, but that's it. And otherwise, when he tries to open up, he gets caught big. And something that Norton, I noted, was really good at was really simpler, uh, similar to something you just said was that he was keeping his hands moving a lot, but it wasn't just haymakers, though. He was kind of like doing like pop, 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 you know, like a, then a big punch type of shit. And that was really uh, getting Ali because when you're a really good defensive fighter, you learn how to kind of roll with those punches. You learn what kind of combinations fighters usually throw one, two, three. You know, two, three, three, two, those kind of combinations that are usual combinations, and then you get into that head movement groove where you can kind of avoid or like you know, go, okay, he's gonna throw light right, left, right, or you know, something like that. But then when you vary it up like Norton was, and you're keeping it like constantly guessing and from different angles it's difficult. You know, you're not just throwing one jab, you're throwing two or three or whatever. And so Ali was slipping that first jab, but then Norton was following him with two and three more and catching him with the third, fourth, whatever. And that's the kind of thing that Norton was doing. And so every time Ali was having to get set to punch back and he was getting caught, um, they said that he, at least Ali said that he fought with for 10 rounds with a broken jaw and that his jaw was broken in the second, which... I mean, I was sitting there trying to look for the punch. I could, it's I can't. And and to on top of that, the thing with the jaw getting fractured, like, dude, it, it doesn't have to be a massive punch. It just has to get caught right. And so, I don't know when it happened. Um, but I will say that. So moving forward a little bit, uh, I think it was after round six. Norton through round six was like just absolutely pepper and Ollie with jabs. He was starting to catch him with right-hand counters. And at the end of round six screamed at Ali, I own you right after the bell. And they noted that, which I thought was great. And Ali was actually fairly quiet, you know, c- compared to how he normally would be in the first fight too. Like he would almost like he knew he was in it. Like he was, he was in the muck dude. So he, uh, he was having to f- try to fight his way out of it. And then he was flat footed. He was just getting caught and moved back constantly.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I had really after the first round, it looks like a guy fighting with the fly swatter against the guy with a hammer.
1: Yeah, man, he was yeah, he was getting he was getting bashed around pretty good.
2: Yeah, he really was. It was pretty shocking to see how easily that Norton was able to close the distance. And the moment that Allie is on the ropes, or especially in a corner the kind of damage that Norton was able to inflict was, I I found it really startling because we've seen Ali famously, especially with the rope-a-dope where he's really able to slide off the punches. And even though it looks like if you were behind it, you know, like a stage fighting in a movie where you're, you know, broadcasting the impact or professional wrestling or whatever, it looks one way, but here where you're actually seeing the blows land, I mean, Ali's defense It's sort of like Roy Jones Jr., where you have the kind of athleticism where you can get out of the way of stuff that you should not be able to get out of the way of, which is why you learn to box a certain way. Exactly. You You have
1: to have the foundation or else once that goes, you're done. You're toast. You're
2: you're done. And so Ali is prepared to deal with the kind of like Randy Johnson fastball pitcher. But when he's dealing with a kind of Greg Maddox approach where I don't know, it's a slider, a curveball, knuckleball, uh, and Norton is mixing up tempo, velocity, and he's patient. Yep. He's patient in a way where Ali is not throwing him off his game. Norton is never psychologically off his balance in this entire fight. He is gritty, I mean, kind of like Frazier, but, but even even Frazier was just taking so much punishment in a way that Norton isn't in this fight. Norton is taking like flicking jabs for the most part. I mean, 95% of the stuff he gets hit with is little arm punches that are, you know, maybe deterring him a little bit by being slightly off balance, but nothing's hurting him. Nothing's coming to his body at all. And you can see that Norton is gaining confidence throughout all of these fights So, I mean, by the sixth round, Cosell calls out, and I have it by the sixth round, three rounds to two for Norton. I think overall in this trilogy, I was a little more generous to Ali than I might have been in terms of you and I kind of agreed that we were going to do a 10-point must system, system, whereas I had one round that was a 10-8 round I probably would have scored for Norton, but I just couldn't in conscience, and and three rounds I had in, in the overall trilogy that I thought were even. I think all of those I gave to Ali just by punch output and what he landed, as opposed to morally, I want to give the round to the person who does more damage, which is always Norton. But I I couldn't do it. So by the sixth round, Cosell says either Norton is better than we thought or Ali is a lot worse than anyone imagined. And what's interesting is I think it's not an either or. They're both true. I I think Norton is a lot better in this fight. He looks a lot better because of just the styles that have made this fight. But Ali definitely, I mean, if we were in his corner, I think both of us would be like, this should be the last one. Like this is, this is
1: not They were, they were putting it on because at first they were kind of just like, Oh, this is going just how we thought, come on, this is great. What are you talking about? Shut up. And then you could see him in the corner. They were like, bro, fuck you know like you could see like that toward the end of the fight they knew but i mean you toward the end of the fight you really couldn't deny it it was i think in the eighth round so a couple rounds later howard cosell notes you know it looks like there's some fluid coming from ali's mouth maybe he broke a tooth and then they ask him and and they say oh no it's uh ferdy pacheco (laughs) fucking ferdy pacheco they bring him on and they're like what's up and they're just like oh no there's no fracture no no fracture and I'm like bro they didn't ask you if he was fractured you just gave away the plot you fucking idiot right. so obviously right. they knew there was something going on with his jaw in the corner or else because it's like a, you ask you come into the room and you, you're like hey what's going on the little kid's like i wasn't touching it and you're like i didn't ask if you were touching it you just gave it away the yeah. <laughs> same shit so yeah. obviously they knew there was something going on with ali's mouth and it was clear too because he was uh his He had a lump on the side of his jaw and his mouth was wide open for much of the fight. I mean, it it might not have been obvious because the film's like slightly grainy and not like the fucking 60 frames per second we're used to all the time. But clearly there was something going on. Um, And I also noted that a couple rounds later in round 10, something that you had talked about a moment ago with Norton not being intimidated, he actually lifted Ali up when Ali tried to slide away from him he grabbed him lifted him up and placed him back in the corner which obviously didn't fly with the ref but still I was just like it was just I think he was showing him like I'm still strong I'm not tired you know I'm on your ass and literally Ali got the crap kicked out of him rounds 10 11 and 12 I thought
2: yeah I mean by by the sixth round Cosell calls Angelo Dundee over and says what is wrong with your fighter yeah what's going on (laughs) and and what's unfolding is Ali is being backed up and he looks cautious in a way that is just really unusual I mean it it just made me think a bit about the look on Mayweather's face in that first Castillo fight where we'd never seen him look like he wasn't in total control I mean that was the genius of Mayweather's his adaptability No matter what the styles were, he'd he'd have a B and a C and a D game. Never lost his composure. Never lost his confidence. Um, With Castillo, there was a sense of, I don't like how this is going. I don't like that this guy is gaining so much confidence as he's fighting me. He's fighting to win. People are not supposed to do that. I'm supposed to mentally break them down where they know the longer they're here, the more advantage I gain. And this guy's acting like he's winning the fight, which a lot of people thought he was. Um, here, it, it, Ali has something similar where he is looking timid and cautious in a way that's just very unexpected to watch. So by the seventh round, Cosell is calling this fight a, a curious affair. Um, and Norton is just getting more and more effective with his jabs and his body attack in a way that I've never seen Ali, Ali look really concerned with somebody going after his body and Ali looks like this is what blew me away is he looks ineffectual. He's just consistently losing rounds. And you can see, well, if I go for it, what's going to happen to me, I'm in serious pain right now. And this could get a lot worse. The guy in front of me is in the best shape of his life and is very motivated to win this fight. And I don't know what to do. I don't know how to gain an advantage in this situation. I can't psych him out. And you're, as you're saying, Cosell is calling out, Ali is not right. <laughs> and, and I mean, another thing is you're, you're getting Frazier brought into the broadcast, yeah. who, by the way, which we haven't mentioned, was Norton's sparring partner for five years. And Frazier is one of the only people around this fight that we're dealing with in the broadcast. Yeah, he's well, he's well not aware. not surprised at all yeah, by what's happening like, Yeah, Yeah, I know. I, I spar with this guy a lot. He's He's good he's really good. And, and just, you know, as, as Frazier's talking, you're watching Norton continue to look more and more composed and intelligent with the attack and and the damage that he's inflicting. And, um, Cosell is saying, I don't even know what this meant, but I've noted it. This could be a silent movie. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. And I think he was, I think I, I, I remember him saying that. And I think he was trying to say, because there wasn't much back and forth action. I guess and also because well i don't know i'd I, who knows it's howard goes he's kind of in his own world sometimes but
2: yeah um, but, I but mean, yeah I,
1: ali looked like shit
2: yeah i mean by the 11th round my notes are ali looks very tired very worn out weary norton continues to come on Throwing some wild shots now because he's trying to close out the show, which is super, super impressive to see that this is what he's doing, you know, in like the 10th round. I have it 7 3 Norton at this point. So, I mean, it's unwinnable unless Ali's going to knock him out. Ali is giving no impression that he can even hurt Norton, let alone stop him in this fight. He predicted stopping him, I think, like early to mid. Yeah, uh, Cosell's going on. We're around 10. Nobody can
1: believe it. What are we doing here in round 10? It's like, what do you mean? Yeah. And an 11th round. Like Ali's like, some power puncher or something. Yeah, right. Dude, right. Stop.
2: No, and, it, and it's not even that, you know, Ali is almost 230 pounds and he's six foot three. It's not that Ali doesn't have the ability to throw power shots. It's, it's his unwillingness to throw them. That's really interesting.
1: Every time he stops, he gets caught every time. Yeah, that's it. Yeah.
2: Every time he is, and I mean, it reminded me a lot of of sort of the Leonard-Duran first fight, is if Leonard fights Duran's fight and Duran's in shape, it's not after some eating binge or whatever, like weight fluctuation, he's drained. I I think 10 out of 10 times, probably Duran beats Leonard in those circumstances, like at, at, at their best, if, if they're in a kind of firefight, which is why it would be stupid for Leonard to do that when he can move to a style that's more beneficial, um, which he demonstrated in the second fight. But here, Ali does not have the option of getting on his toes and sort of totally controlling where the fight is fought. He's got a guy who's just in too good a shape, too willing, too capable, and with too good a strategy from Eddie Futch. You know, he's got this brilliant corner and none of the head games are also impacting him the way they probably did with Foreman. So I mean by the by the 12th round I mean I have it 7-4 I mean Ali, I gave him the 11th round but um that was
1: I thought the 11th was almost certainly his best round yeah. and even then it wasn't like he did great it was just that he was finally able to kind of get on his toes stay on his toes for almost the whole round and move around and Norton was having to follow him but but that was like but that was it that was almost certainly his best round you know
2: Yeah yeah, I totally agree. I thought for 20 seconds, there was a flourish from Ali that was unprecedented for the rest of the fight. And, and by the way, 20 seconds of solid offense from Ali is basically unprecedented in the entire trilogy. He was not able to muster anything like that. Yeah, he was than, faking and, his
1: way through a lot of it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, he was. And, and, and it's not even that the fight is phoned in it's that he's really fucking trying desperately he just doesn't know what to do and doesn't have the ability to implement anything to stop Norton from doing what he wants to do he at best he can delay it but it's the whole trilogy demonstrates that the questions that Norton is asking are things that all all Ali can do is delay them is delay and 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 that's just really strange to see um so, yeah, last round, I thought Norton came on really strong. The yep. last minute, Norton landed a big right hand. Yep. And uh, Ali's mouth starts to to bleed. And Norton comes on with a big finish. So yep. it's sort of the movie is not what you're, you know, when we think about Ali, he's always going to come out on top sort of thing. Suddenly it's like, oh, no, he's not. Yeah, and and it's 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 strange because you think he's going to somehow rewrite the ending because he's the mythic Muhammad Ali, but he doesn't. And he, he almost did
1: split decision. I mean,
2: those scores are bad. I mean, five four, five four Norton, uh, six five, and then seven five. Um, yeah, I, I disagree. <laughs> what, yeah, I mean, as I say, I think I was too generous on Norton. I sorry, too generous for Ali in this fight, but I had an eight four Norton, and I think that's conservative.
1: Yeah, I thought it was a it was about nine three for Norton, roughly. Um, and it could have been about 10 2, um, depending on I mean, one of the rounds that I gave Ali earlier, I was kind of like, Ugh. because like you said, um, I thought Norton was clearly landing the heavier shots and doing more damage, but it's at times, and this is the conundrum when you're scoring on a round by round basis, is that when around is three minutes and one fighter spends, you know, five, 10 seconds doing damage, but then the rest of the round doesn't really do any damage. And the other fighter is getting some work done, clearly not as damaging, but then you're having to kind of do some quick math in your head is, there, are those like 15 punches that didn't really seem very damaging equal to those one and a half, two punches that were, I don't know, but that's what you have to decide. And so, in any case, like you said, though, uh, clearly Norton was doing more of the damage, and uh, uh, one thing I wanted to say earlier that I forgot to say was that when he was getting Ali on the ropes, instead of doing what Foreman was doing, instead of doing even what what Frazier was doing, too, he was more committed to the body, and he was doing it in a way that was difficult for Ali to get away from or to predict so that he could just you know put his arm down or something he was getting caught a lot to the body by ken norton and so yeah the left hook like that that's the history of it is like it was norton's left hook yeah it, the hook was good but the jab and the body work were also really what helped get that first fight uh done i thought and so um that also you know it, it that There are photos from after that first fight. Ollie's sitting in the dressing room holding the bag of ice to his jaw, obviously, because it's messed up. And uh, he doesn't look good. He acknowledges that he got beaten up a little bit after the fight. It's pretty clear. You know, he he took off uh, right after the decision because he was hurt and he needed to go get his jaw addressed. But it's pretty clear that he's well aware that Ken Norton's a bug. You know, Ken Norton's rough. Ken Norton's not a guy to be trifled with and that perhaps oh. he overlooked him. Sure. But overlooking or not, even in shape, I think that he knew that it, it was going to be a tough ask.
2: Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's sort of, sort of like with, with Tyson where we always talk about the young Tyson could have beat anybody at the time and still some people kind of raise it, but the moment Tyson was fighting somebody who wasn't afraid of him, who was tall and could jab, he had problems. Like the moment Tyson was backing Very up, he lost, every, he lost every time. So when you think, you know about this thing well how how good did Ali look against Frazier I mean isn't Tyson bigger stronger faster sort of thing I don't know I mean because it this fight makes you ask those questions like what the hell were people looking at to think that Norton was a five to one underdog in this fight out jabs him like way stronger I mean he's lighter than Ali but looks way stronger than him I think it's just that
1: that exposure bias you know where they just don't know who norton is i I mean that's the only thing i can that's the only explanation i got
2: yeah it's just it's just interesting it's it's to consider that i mean so let's jump ahead to the second fight which happens about six months later september tenth, nineteen 1973 at the forum in inglewood california ali has lost 10 pounds he looks 10 years younger too oh dude he, he looks amazing He he looks different
1: crowd too. I must say, with the you mentioned the forum, the crowd is definitely very different as far as how they're reacting for sure.
2: Definitely, and and Ali is the same weight as when he beat Liston, so he's really transformed himself. I guess really has learned a lot from that first Norton fight, and really wants to make a statement in this rematch. Norton himself curiously also lost some weight. He lost five pounds coming into this rematch, so he's two hundred and five pounds. That does not look like a two hundred and five pound man at standing at six foot three with an eighty inch. Lost reach.
1: five pounds and gained like one hundred and thirty neck veins. <laughs> yeah,
2: fucking... it's bizarre. Um, As a shredded
1: it's... fucking specimen, bro. So, yeah,
2: just ridiculous. Just, just ridiculous genetics. Um, And in the first round, you can just see Ali is controlling the fight, controlling distance beautifully. His speed is better. His confidence is there. His reflexes are back in a way that his defense actually is functional, unlike in the first fight, like this whole leaning back thing. I think he's learned that if I lean back, my chin is elevated and this guy's throwing leaping punches from both directions very effectively, and Ali loved to circle towards Norton's right hand. So it was also a very effective gesture for, for Norton to throw a sweeping, wide, looping right hand because it would move him back directly in front of him for a body punch. For throwing another left hook or opening up com- combinations in which Ali would be off balance because of the sweeping motion controlling him, and he could do the same thing with his left hand. So Ali didn't know which way it was coming, and, and I thought he was very effective in his punch selection too, where you could see Ali was confused by it. It wasn't predictable for his defense, but now Ali has more room in terms of his athleticism is back. He's in better condition to implement it. And, and right off the bat, you could just see it's a totally different fight. Um, Ali is certainly not asserting much power in the fight, but he's controlling almost the entire first round, which he wasn't able to do in any of the rounds previously. So it's an easy, easy round to score. And by the second round, Ali is even shuffling. He's dancing in between rounds. They're both making a weird point of this not sitting on the stool, which I just think is the dumbest fucking thing. Like, who gives a shit? Um, but I mean Ali easily is up two two to nothing. I have gave him the third round as well. And it's pretty clear Ali is gonna give Norton a lot of problems here because Norton is not does not have the ability to dominate this version of him.
1: Yeah, um it's it's pretty clear from the outset. Like you said, Ali's up on his toes. Uh you know, Norton actually landed like a hook or two in the first round, but I didn't think it was enough. I thought it was a pretty good overall round for Ali. And he carried that into the second round. He's still up on his toes. Uh, even be- like you said, even before the bell in the corner, he's up on his toes and kind of like doing his little shimmy and stuff like that in the corner before the bell rings. Uh, Norton was resorting to have to, he was kind of following Ali around a little too much, bobbing and weaving, but not not really getting off offensively. Um, and also on top of that, one thing I did note was that in this second fight, I have to give Ali a little bit of credit because one thing Ali did A lot was like you said to Joe about Joe Frazier, the rematch, he would grab opponent's head, push him down, lead him around by, you know, that type of shit, like in a clinch. He didn't do that very much in the first fight. And part of that was that uh, he got warned fairly early on when he tried to. And so he was deterred from doing that. I think from a with a very stern warning from the referee. And in the second fight, in the second round, he grabbed Norton when Norton got him to the ropes. In the second round, he grabbed Norton, clinched him, and moved him <laughs> back to the center of the ring. And and the referee didn't say anything. And so I think that that was also. I'm not blaming that. I'm not saying that that's why. You know what what Ollie's success was but at the same time that helps you know and you only do what you're able to get away with of course that's on the fucking ref like you need the referee needs to be on shit like that but he wasn't and so uh i noted that norton was trying to get him to ropes and did get him to the ropes a few times but ollie was able to by trickery you know by crook or by fucking hook get him off the get off the ropes and uh in any case, he, he carried that through for a couple rounds, and I thought he had a good start to this fight that probably was what pulled it out for him.
2: Yeah, and I mean, the other thing, the one, I mean, we haven't really criticized anything about Norton so far, but the one thing that is a glaring weakness in his game, his inability to cut off the ring with Ali is really inexplicable. Because what the hell are they thinking? That like this guy, the only way he can really deal with you is by circling and dancing. Why are you not, his footwork, this weird like mummy movement of him dragging his back foot as he closes the distance, Like it's very peculiar. It's It's more pronounced than even Foreman, which like Ali used to mock him, calling him a mummy and stuff like that. But Norton is the one who looks like a mummy. The legs are so stiff as he closes in. And here, I mean, if he's not able to land those wide punches of the, the, the hook and, and that looping right hand, Ali is so out of range and Norton just has no game plan about how to corner him. It, it's, it's peculiar. And again, credit to Ali for being able to dance around. But you think at some point Futch would say, look, here's what we need to do. We need to really make some adjustments to deal with this. So it takes... It takes Norton to the fifth round where I'm able to give him a round. Yep. And they have a really good Same. exchange uh, in, in the middle of the round. And Norton lands a big hook on Ali's temple and also a lunging left hook to the body where Ali looks glaringly hurt in this fight. But to Ali's credit, and again, like one thing I want to stress, like for any of the criticism I've levied on Ali, is his toughness and resilience is so staggering like this. When you think about other fighters that are are confronted with adversity, what it brings out on them. And I mean, we just mentioned Tyson. The moment there's adversity, he loses. Every single fight of his career, if he's really confronted by by serious adversity, he lost all of those fights. So that tells you something about who he is in that way ali gets better every time like in terms of when he's taking these shots what what's on display when he feels like a it's
1: a russian nesting doll dude (laughs) every fucking time it's just like oh okay all right i'm peeling away defense fuck there's a chin all right what about the chin now he's moving (laughs) it's like you can't fucking
2: get him it's amazing it's just amazing and so here you see ali just gutting it out just gutting out um he 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 lands like like his straight right hand, like I mentioned before, in terms of the Jordan turnaround jumper, is the probably the only really solid offensive weapon he has in the whole trilogy. I, he, I mean, there's a couple of hooks that are in there, but this straight right hand is the only thing that he retains from the young alley in terms of the speed with that which like he stop pivot.
1: pivot right hand. Yeah, it's yeah.
2: beautiful, and he has another combination that's kind of interesting, yeah. where as he's circling to his right. He will switch his stance and lead with a with like a two with like a lead right and come over with his left hand as if it's a straight left. And he does it again and again and again because Norton never has the footwork to be able to handle it. And then he's already like oscillating to the other direction and snapping back to set up like a new series where he's dictating when it's going to when the exchange is going to happen. It's really smart and really slick. And Once he's found it, I mean, it's like a Michael Jackson moonwalk. It's like, I'm just going to do it again and again and again until you solve it. Norton never solves it. So as long as Ali has enough energy to be able to dance and do this, when he's circling to his right, if you watch for it, he's doing it again and again. And it's a beautiful little move that almost always works because he's he he's waiting for Norton to be just slightly off balance. And then you can knock him over and then sweep to the other side. It's just it's just beautiful. And. Ali does not look beautiful in any of these fights. It's like the only moment where you're just kind of like, oh, it's so slick and elegant. Yeah.
1: He puts it together uh, in a couple of rounds. And so I thought same thing. Uh, Norton caught up with him in the fifth round. Finally, he was, he got him to the ropes, landed some really good body work. And then in round six, uh, he kind of continued his work. And, but Ali was forced to kind of fight fight his way through it. He yep. wasn't able to move away from him. Norton kind of caught him up and Ali was like, you know, he clearly seemed to make a visible decision almost like, all right, I guess, I guess this is it. And now I got to punch out of it. And he did. Um, I thought that he might've gotten the better of the exchange. Although the commentators started going on and on about how hurt Norton was in round six. I didn't, I wasn't really sure he was hurt. uh, And also on top of that, it's tough to tell because he's moving his head so much and the way that he moves is that it's, he masks it fairly well. Uh, I got to give it to him. And so I wasn't really sure how hurt he really was, but Ali did do well in that sixth round when Norton kind of, you know, when he had to fight his way out of it, you know, and that was about the only time uh, he seemed like he was confident doing that. It didn't last very long too.
2: Yeah. Uh, Sixth round. I'm back to giving Ali the round seventh round. I thought Ali was very effective at a distance but when the distance gets closed, Norton's blows are landing with more regularity and Ali is again having trouble evading punches strictly on head movement because his feet are so much slower than I think he thinks they are. And and this is a big problem with boxing, boxers that depend on their athleticism is very frequently they're the last to know (laughs) and their opponent is sitting there watching how much they've slowed down but that athlete has this kind of phantom relationship to who they were as an athlete and their body just doesn't follow what their mind remembers that they could do. And you're seeing a lot of that with Ali is his defensive struggles are it's either hubris that he doesn't want to make the necessary adjustments because you cannot rely on this leaning back thing with Norton. The reach is too long and he's too shrewd with his attack and intelligent with it. So Ali, uh, let's see norton norton lands a right uppercut in the 7th round that reminded me a lot of lebedev with with roy jones junior there's some moments that there were some echoes of that for me in this fight because there was like an uppercut uh, a right uppercut and a right looping punch that followed it that reminded me a bit of the end of that horrible Jones-Lebedev fight um, where Ali gets caught three times to end the round. And um, it's just hard to watch it, right? Because you're just thinking, these are the blows that probably contributed to a large degree to Ali ending up where he was for, for the end of his life. This, um, you know, where early on in his career, I know he was knocked down a couple of times early on, but the way the the amount that he's getting hit and the quality of the blows that he's taking, it's, it's a little scary at times. Is, yeah. Um, uh, so eighth round, I thought again, Norton came on. Um, Ali just kind of looks like a mosquito at times. Like, you know, he's just doing enough just to sort of dart in and land something, but Norton is just coming on and, um, the last minute Ali's head gets snapped back about five times, including at the bell. That was something that that kind of shocked me, is I never seen Ali be so dominated with the jab. Um, it's not to say that Ali didn't land more jabs, because I'm almost certain that he did. But the quality of those jabs is Norton's, all of those jabs are hurting Ali, like just with his head being snapped back. It's, it is very unpleasant for any of us that have sparred have somebody bashing your head back and nothing that Norton lands with a jab is not having that effect on him. And almost nothing that Ali is throwing at Norton is snapping his head back ever. So I yeah. think like that would set a certain emotional tone. It's it, almost it, it, like it, when
1: it, you get surprised by a shot, you know, yeah. you are like, Whoa, you know, like it's, but it's, that's like every shot with Ali here and that's what's it's making it difficult to give those kinds of rounds to Ali. Um, and I agree. I thought that round eight, especially toward the end of the round, Good right from Norton at the bell. Um, And so that's seven and eight, two rounds in a row where Ollie looked either hurt or tired, especially at the end of the seventh round. Uh, He finally got back on his bike in the ninth. He got back on his bike and he was able to kind of, you know, uh, move his hands a little bit better, but he looked very clearly wary of Ken Norton's power and the way that he was throwing his punches at this time. He didn't look nearly as confident as he did uh, at the start of the fight. And in round nine, he was clearly looking tired. Uh, like I said, uh, in the first fight, I was surprised because Ali, even having lost 10 pounds here, I think that it speaks to, uh, like like I said, going into the first fight, he had already had a fairly full career. You know, it's a, a serious career. He'd already taken a bunch of punishment, et cetera. I mean, in just kind of not to go on too much of a tangent, but just going down the list, he got hurt badly by Doug Jones very early in his career. Got put down by uh, you know uh, Henry Cooper uh, and and hurt very badly. I know our British friends exaggerate like greatly about how much time passed between rounds. It was like seventeen extra seconds or something like. Don't go out. Don't come on. But still, he was badly hurt. He was hurt against Fraser. You know, he's, he was hurt a whole number of times, even just bri- briefly. So he's had a long career by this point. Um, somehow in the ninth round, I thought that he was able to kind of put it together and say, all right, you know, I need to get back on my bike and whatever it is I have left. That's what I'm putting into here. And that's what he did in round nine. Um, toward the end of the round, Norton was jabbing well with him again. And then he was also trying to time him going into the 10th round, but Ali was moving and he was keeping Norton from getting set. Like you said earlier, Norton was having difficulty anytime Ali moved Norton's footwork, made it so that he had a very and the way that he bobbed and weaved and stuff made it very difficult for him to catch up with his feet. And so he was having to try to catch up with his hands, which he couldn't do a lot of the time. Um, and so in any case, I thought that this is about as good as Ali looked in this trilogy in some of these rounds, where he was finally able to kind of just reach down as deep as he could and pull it out, get some movement going, move his hands. And he was, in some sequences, not all of them, and a lot of them he was getting dinged around, but in some sequences he was doing just enough where he was making Norton miss by like a millimeter. And it was like, now that's good work. But it was almost like unintentional good work, like where he was, like I said, he was like, he's so used to this movement that it's muscle memory. And he's just kind of, he's going back and he's moving his head because he knows Norton's going to go left, right, left, you know, type of shit. And so he was making a miss in a lot of these exchanges, but it's just that uh, even in these exchanges and in the rounds where Ali is winning, it's by a hair, it's not by a ton. And he, and it looks like it looks dangerous. It looks like dangerous work, you know?
2: I totally agree. And, and I mean, I, I thought the ninth round, I agree. I think it was one of the best rounds of the whole trilogy for Ali. And it's also one of arguably the only time where it looked like he really hurt Norton. There's a one-two yeah. that he lands, and again, it's a rare one where he really puts his weight behind it, and it has speed, and it just catches Norton flush in that way that Customado used to say. A great combination is they both land at the same si-. Like, when you hear it, it sounds like it's one, one impact. It's just, and, yeah. and and so that just happens to Norton's face, and he wobbles a little bit, and there's a lovely, like, toe-to-toe exchange to end the round. Um definitely like the most exciting round so far of the two fights. Um, And it's getting closer. I mean, I think I have it five, four for Ali. At this point, Ali puts on some pressure to open the 10th round. Um, Norton is still catching with the jab and, and is using timing rather than speed, which is like the one thing you can do if you're not as fast as your opponent is effectively overcome that, that problem, with timing, which, you know, again, speaks to Norton's composure in this fight. He doesn't know where he is in terms of the scoring, but he's still just conscious enough at the task at hand to just not blow um, what's working for him to come back into this fight. And there'd be a lot of pressure after what's happened at this point in terms of how effective Ali has been against him compared to the first fight. Um, Norton lands a huge hook to throw Ali into the corner. And um, and then I think at the end, Norton lands a big closing hook on Ali's jaw to end this fight. But I still gave the round to Ali. I mean, Ali is just showing so much guts and courage, just even when there is adversity to just assert that willpower. That like you may be able to beat him physically this alley, as you say, the, the long career he's been fighting since he's 12. So, I mean, this is 19 years on in his career. And Ali was not that disciplined. That's another thing that's important is after the Vietnam situation, three years off, Ali blew blows up in weight. And really, it's a struggle with weight for the rest of his career
1: a lot of public appearances. Yeah, And and one thing that we forgot to mention that, you know, I forgot because they said this during the first fight. I don't know how true it was. I don't know why they would lie about it either, but they're talking about how Ali was out the night before at some party or at some club, not partying, but just hanging out. And I mean, that's not exactly being disciplined either. So, I mean, yeah, that's another thing is that the discipline issue uh, you're beating him physically, but like you said, he's, he's, impressively able to hang in there despite the fact that Norton is still coming on strong at times
2: well and I think I think there's there's an element to Ali's hubris and arrogance where you can sort of be like I believe I'm the greatest ever he has a relationship with his God that's co-signing everything he wants to do right so I mean it's not it's not just that he's an athlete trying to perform and then we see what happens it's a divination. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all this sort of divine, preordained glory and stuff like that. So maybe you think, well, if God's on my side because of what I'm doing and I have so many fans and everything, I'm this important. I don't need to train the way I was training to get where I was. And, and that does seem to be an element of Ali a little bit. Um, he can overcome it with adversity because he's such a miraculous fighter and human being. Um, but he's being put to the test hear a lot so I thought Norton is doing everything he can to kind of come back into this fight and try to close close it out even though I had him behind but I just mean like come back and overtake Ali's lead but it's just back and forth back and forth that's what I have for the last few rounds of the fight Ali winning the 10th Norton winning the 11th at 6-5 and then in the 12th I thought Ali did enough pouring on a lot of combinations um, of the first half of the fight he's dancing in the last round. A lot, and Norton lands a few big shots, but I didn't think he landed enough. And I thought Ali landed the the shots that he was willing to commit to to try to do damage was the one two. He does land some, which are which are effective. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so, I thought he wins that last round and and thus wins the fight seven five. So so that's where I I landed with the score. And according to the judges, it was. Split decision six five Ali six five Norton and seven five Ali. I I don't I yeah I don't know. I mean I thought it was pretty clear Ali won the fight, but I but I get it if you if you see it the other way, at least a
1: draw maybe. I thought it was fairly close but fairly clear for Ali too. Um, I mean as as much as that sounds like an oxymoron, I think that it can be the the case that, um, yeah. Ali seemed to do much, much better than in the first fight, and he also seemed to have a handful of rounds where he either clearly won them or came about as close to to clearly winning them as he did in the entire trilogy. um he got up on his toes he found and even in some of the rounds where he was getting beat up a bit like that twelfth round, uh like I think even in even in the eleventh round. He was getting beat up a bit and then fired away in the last, like, well, I think I noted it was like the last like 20 seconds or something like that. Uh, you know, Norton was really gunning for him and trying to get him, but just missing. And then Ali kind of stopped for the last chunk of the round and fired with him and just and did well. He actually did well. Same thing. Round 12, uh, Ali opened up with combinations and then Norton either appeared stunned or kind of frozen up. But then he responded, did well himself. And then Ali responded back himself and closed strong closed the fight strong so um you know just closing the fight strong doesn't win you the fight you obviously have to put in the work all 12 rounds but uh even like i said in those rounds where he was getting beaten up he was coming back he was showing the intangibles he was showing that it wasn't just uh his physicality so i thought that it could have been about eight four ali but seven five would have been totally fine too if if they would have scored a to draw i wouldn't have been you know that i wouldn't have been mad about that i thought that it was in draw territory too and some rounds were kind of tough to score um but it was clear though that ali had figured out that he needed to do something different and he did it just differently enough to separate himself
2: yeah yeah so i mean we jump ahead to september 28th 1976 uh yankee stadium uh New York City is in the midst of a police strike, so there are no police at the event. Joe DiMaggio there, though. Um, so, yeah this this is ten fights. What what do I have here in terms of? Because I I mean Norton has been knocked out by Foreman, and Foreman has has lost to Ali. So I think I have that right. Is isn't that right that that Norton Norton's been knocked out by Foreman at that point, hasn't he?
1: Yeah. So he, yeah. In the Caracas caper, that was 1974. Okay. Um, And so and that was right after the second Muhammad Ali fight. And I think that that was, so they, they interviewed, uh, they interviewed both of them after the rematch and Ken Norton was basically like, he was gunning for Joe Frey or for George Foreman after the first fight. Cause he was like, well, I beat Muhammad Ali. Now I want, I want a shot at the championship and that's George Foreman. So I want to fight George Foreman. Obviously the money that Ali commanded and his, right. you know, his influence meant like he was going to get a rematch. He got his rematch, won the rematch, but still I think that Ali looked kind of like shit and george foreman uh was on his own kind of world tour where they'd taken him to japan he had knocked out jose roman who was talking a bunch of shit and then they took ken norton and he down to caracas wound up being a massive fiasco for a handful of reasons we won't get into it maybe we'll do our own show on that but in any case uh yeah so norton had already he got knocked out pretty badly by george uh, foreman too Uh, Like, real bad. Like, there's some fantastic photos of it because he's, like, in midair, like, contorted, like, fucking knocked out type shit. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, in any case, he had still come back, though, to score a couple of pretty good wins, specifically over Jerry Quarry, who was hot at this time still in 1975, or at least, you know, hot enough that that would be a meaningful win for him. Ron Stander, who was a middling heavyweight, but a fairly tough guy, beat him up, uh, Pedro level, you know, et cetera. So he had come back enough, but Ali was the one who, like you'd said, was, you know, going on at least, I don't know if you would call it a tear, but definitely a historic run, uh, getting some get back over Joe Frazier in that rematch, which was not a good fight whatsoever, but then defeating George Foreman subsequent to that, then, you know, Wepner, Lyle, Bugner, Frazier in the third fight, which was an epic fight, Jean-Pierre Koopman in a you know, somewhat not memorable fight, Jimmy Young, Richard Dunn, and then finally on to Ken Norton, the, the rubber match at Yankee Stadium. So you set the stage nicely with this pre- police strike because there was a lot of unrest going on at the time.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, I just thought it was interesting after, after the second fight that Ali has 10 fights from seven again, just just the different era from where we are today in terms of, you know, fighting Joe Frazier twice and Foreman and Ron Lyle, not easy fights. I mean, epically difficult fights for Ali and Norton has had eight fights after the after the second fight in their trilogy, and yeah, it's a weird scene. It does look very sort of gladiatorial, like like just in the sense of there's just kind of a swirl of chaos and and it just. It's interesting just to get a little slice of time from 1976 New York City. Um, You know, we're looking at Taxi Driver coming out of of that kind of New York City that's there. Um, And yet Ali comes out flat-footed, his head movement's a little better, um, and, and his lead right is just still there. Like, this weapon has not left him yet in terms of being able to, you know, the only real effect, effective offensive weapon that that can kind of do damage against Norton. Everything else is just kind of to keep Norton off of him. And I like the third fight, I mean, a little bit, just because there's more of a back and forth. Like the first two are kind of, the first one's pretty clearly Norton's fight. The second one is more clearly Ali's fight. This one is like, to me, the most controversial of of the three. Was that your feeling too?
1: Uh, Yeah, I mean, I thought that uh, basically, well, there is one little tiny piece of history that must be mentioned going into this third fight because it is extremely relevant. And that's the Antonio Inoki rematch or the match, mm-hmm. not rematch. Sorry. So just to briefly go into it so we don't get sidetracked too much. This whole idea of a boxer facing some other martial artist or whatever, like this goes back decades and decades and decades, even before Ali Enoki, But in the 1970s, as uh, professional wrestling specifically was starting to really come up again in uh, in popularity, Antonio Inoki was a massive star in Japan. Uh, Muhammad Ali is always thinking globally, always thinking internationally and stuff like that, as far as his brand and popularity. They set up this match between Antonio Inoki, who was an extremely popular Japanese pro wrestler and kind of like the godfather of japanese mixed martial arts as it were and so muhammad ali takes on antonio enoki and gets you know absolutely just i mean it it wasn't good you know he couldn't do anything with enoki who they basically made all of these weird rules for the fight and so enoki exploited the weird rules and just laid on his back and kicked ali in the legs ali Ollie getting kicked in the legs so much by Antonio Inoki literally sent him to the hospital with blood clots in his legs, which mm. fucked up his legs for the remainder of his career. Now I'm not saying that's specifically why he stood so flat footed with Norton in the third fight, especially at the start. But I have to say that that had something to do with it. Cause this was only three months after the Antonio Inoki dude. I fucking fell down some stairs one time and bruised my hip and I wasn't walking right in granted, I'm like an out of shape fucker, but I wasn't walking right for like months, dude. So in any case uh, that has to be mentioned just because it's really relevant to the way Ali fights early on in this fight specifically, because he's, it's a totally different Ali. Like you, it's not even one you even really see he's in there and he's leaning forward. He's on his front foot. He's trying to launch right hands. Like he's trying to hurt Ken Norton in the first round with right hands. And I was like, Whoa, you know, I don't even really remember ever watching that fight. I probably have, but it's probably been years and years and years. And in the first round, uh, you know, he's sitting there talking to Ken Norton and trying to throw combinations at him. And anyway, uh, the talking winds up being a theme throughout the fight he didn't really do that very much in the first and second fight but in the third fight he talks to him the entire time and he really ups the theatrics you know cuz after that opening flurry that surge from Ali where he's trying to do something it's like it doesn't last too long after that
2: Yeah no I mean it, it it's interesting I mean by the second round Norton is just landing these vicious body punches Ali is responding with some flurries and one of the things that became apparent for me is it, it reminded me a bit of seeing Marlon Brando in Last Tango in Paris, where you can see glimpses of the really young, beautiful Brando and the real, large, morbidly obese Brando that he's going to become. Is This is a bit of a gateway into both versions of Ali, is you can see glimpses of the young, beautiful, super athletic, just elegant, majestic poetry motion. And you can also see who he's going to become versus Burbick and Holmes, where he is, it's criminal that he was allowed to be in there against yeah. these guys. And so Ali is right at this kind of precipice of leaving the past behind and entering this, this last phase that is most likely, I mean, all the people I know who were close to Ali at this time, like this is what they account for, what sent him where he, where he ended up with his health is and, and so i just yeah in the second round that's where it just kind of i i was taken out of the fight a little bit by just seeing ali showing both sides yeah well um, and
1: and like you said like he the whole pretending to be hurt type of thing like he gets hit with legitimately a very nice right hand and it's like it doesn't really look like it badly hurts him or anything like that i'm not trying to exaggerate it but he immediately goes from that to ooh, you know and it's like yeah. the the theatrics are dialed up to 11 because that's because it's got, there's a void that's got to be filled an actual in-ring void. And that's fill it with theatrics.
2: And, and by the third round, I mean, I gave Norton the second round, so it's tied up one, one Norton in the third round. I mean, Ali is being measured. He's scoring and not getting caught for a little bit. Norton's careful. um, His careful output against Ali offensively, is something that is just continually frustrating Ali. Ali just doesn't have an answer for it, doesn't really know if the punches are coming low or high, doesn't know which direction they're coming All from. Ali like, loved swarmers. He yeah.
1: he When somebody came right
2: at him, he loved it. Measured. It's tough. It's tough. and And I think also because the jab is able to penetrate his guard so effectively that he's not able to commit to just, oh, straight punches – Because Norton is so good and has such long reach with the looping shots so that when Allie tries to get away to to find an exit in either direction, both of those can knock him off balance. As well as, because his chin is high, because he's leaning back to avoid shots, rather than parrying or blocking, his chin is right in position to take the impact of the blow along uh, uh, along a much larger surface area of very vulnerable jaw than if it was tucked in properly, kind of thing. So I thought in the third round there are some huge right hands that Norton lands um that drive Ali into the corner. And I don't understand in terms of Ali's preparation for this fight why he's keeping his hands low and just leaning back. Because oh, and his weight hoping, went
1: back up too. He's back and up in weight. Yeah.
2: Yeah. He doesn't I mean I just think Ali's, probably during the Vietnam hiatus, Ali's, and, and this happens with a lot of people in terms, in terms of just their um, metabolism, you look at Russell Crowe, like Russell Crowe gaining weight to be in the Insider, he never, could, he never could fix his metabolism ever again. Like thereafter, he was really struggling to get down into sort of his preferred weight whereas it had never been a thought in his mind. And I think he did that when he was in his like mid thirties or something like that. I think that happens to some people. And I think it definitely happened to Ali that he could kill yeah, himself. Yeah, that's what and-
1: happened to me too. I was, I was yeah. working on a film role.
2: <laughs> but I just mean, I think Ali gained a lot of weight in those yeah. three years. I don't think his metabolism ever adjusted and his body was really fixed and kind of calcified into being a heavier version of of who he was. So he could lose the weight, but fundamentally his body and his appetite and everything was like, we want to get you back to 230, you know, 235, like the 200 thing, 205 thing, 210. No, 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 no. Let's just have a little more, have a little more. And Ali had a huge sweet tooth as well. He I loved to, ice cream. Loved ice cream. Loved ice cream. Uh, same, and same,
1: so, same Muhammad. Yeah. Love it.
2: So, you know, Ali again just so gutsy in the fourth round comes back wins that round and you're seeing that lead right hand is just so fluid I mean it's it's still like the thing where as I say it's like the Brando thing you can see the young version where you're just kind of like oh like how does he still have this when everything else just seems so like herky-jerky and, and not not smooth at all but the lead right is just so fluid and sharp and precise um And yet, every time Norton gets him onto the ropes, um, Ali does not do well. He does not do well when he's in the corner. This whole rope-a-dope thing, you can just see he, at this point, Norton's
1: too smart for it.
2: Too smart for it. And, And Ali is always coming out the worst for wear. And similarly, apart from the threat of being knocked out or hurt again, is just losing rounds when he's in the corner. He's not doing anything. So Norton closes out the fourth round with several really big right hands, high and low. And um, yeah, I mean, it was interesting just to see the tenor of the fight with this constantly going back and forth. And, um, and I mean, I think in the fifth round, Ali just tries to like recreate what he did against Foreman in this horrible, horribly misguided rope-a-dope where about a th- I had it I had it counted and again, I mean, I'm just watching it through. I'm not watching it super slowly and going back much, but like a third of the punches that Norton is throwing are penetrating Ali's guard, unlike what for- what Foreman was able to do in Zaire where like not a lot of that was ever getting through five percent, ten percent. I mean they're they're big shots in terms of the windup, but nothing is really penetrating. Here, it's just really unclear what he's hoping to accomplish by going to the ropes, other than he must be tired and trying to recuperate. Um, it's the first time, I think, in the whole series of fights where the crowd turns on him and starts booing. Yep, It's happening and basically spends two minutes on the ropes. I probably wanted to give Norton a 10-8 round here, but didn't. Um, so I, I have it now. Now Lorton, Norton's taking the lead 3-2. At this point,
1: yeah, with a very strong fifth round, yeah, yeah, and and also important to note that Muhammad Ali was the champion in this fight, and this was the only fight in which he was the heavyweight champion too. It's true. Um, and perhaps with that comes some sort of expectation as well. Um, and so I'm I'm not saying that's why they were booing, but at the same time, um, he wasn't he wasn't doing much. He just wasn't doing a lot. Like the like I said, he died. He dialed the theatrics up as much as he could. Um, and he was t- he was constantly talking to Norton. You know, they were noting it ringside. They were saying, oh, "What do you got? You ain't got nothing." Stuff like that. It's like, well, you can tell me ain't got nothing, but you still have to punch back at some time, buddy. You know, you still have to you you have to do something. And so uh, this continued kind of into the sixth round, where uh, Norton was leading, or he was doing damage first, and then Ali was having to kind of retreat, go to the ropes, and stuff like that. And then when he would, Norton was just wisely going to the body, and he was keeping up the pressure to the head. And Ali was unable, really, to get much going. You know, he was he was still Norton was still breaking through offensively. Ali just didn't look good.
2: No, and I, I mean the sixth round at the end of at the end of the round, I, I think Norton lands an even better shot. Then whatever the shot was, I mean, we don't know what it was that broke Ali's jaw, but there's a body shot in this punch that's one of the nastiest body shots I've ever seen landed. Just, just given the size and the weight, just all of his leverage is behind it and it lands completely flush just off to the center of, um, of Ali's like rib cage sort of thing. Like it, it just gets in there so perfectly and Ali doubles over. It it it's it he he's just incapable of not collapsing a little bit, and then again, why he's the greatest within a second or two, just like he did when when Fraser up. knocked him down, bounces up and he's dancing around. And this is the kind of shot where you could just see somebody lying on the ground for days as a result of how much it must have hurt. Um, and he didn't block any of it, he didn't block any of it, he just took the full 210 pounds of of this incredibly strong guy just churning into his stomach and and manages to survive it. Uh and seventh round, I gave him the seventh round. So the next comes back the next round and wins it. Yeah,
1: I same. I thought that he had a great bounce back round of round seven. I mean, he was like, that's what it's not it's not so much frustrating unless you're rooting for Ali, of course, but it's just it's more just frustrating, like you said, because you see glimpses.
2: You do, like, and, ah. and at the same and at the same time, at the end of the seventh round, one of the things I had noted is for all the mockery Ali had of how slow Foreman's feet were and how heavy his legs were, it's what Ali looks
1: like—totally flat-footed now,
2: totally yeah. flat-footed, and just walking, just just so heavy. Um, eighth round, Norton comes back and um, is just the stocking is back. He's yep. more effective at cornering Ali, which mm-hmm. I think is more, less credit to him for cutting off the ring because he's not very good at that. More just Ali's, the effects of these body shots are showing Can't up. get away, yeah. Um, and then Ali is just not able to do much to keep him off at this point either. So mainly he's just covering up, which is unusual because normally Ali's defense is to throw these little flicking things to keep somebody off. But um, at this point, Norton Norton is just coming in with even more kind of dynamic punch selection. That's frustrating, Ali, and Ali doesn't know what to do. And it, it's a really clear round for Norton. Uh, and then next round, Ali comes back, and I give him <laughs> the next round. So he's back. He's back dancing. He yeah. It's part
1: of the, somehow he he decides in round nine that he's going to start getting on his toes.
2: Yeah. And, and yet at the same time, and, the, and this is part of the scoring challenge that I think makes these fights really interesting. Is Norton lands a colossal looping right hand. This punch right, that is right hand, yeah. A huge right hand. They show a replay of it. And it how Ali is able to take these shots and not only not be knocked down or knocked out, but just kind of just shrug it off. Um, just I, I think it's the best chin I've ever seen. I mean, him or Shivalo, it's it's just incredible. And so do you score this round where Ali has been dancing and been highly effective at just landing these little pity pat kind of punches, but I mean, he's landing way more punches if it was a CompuBox method of, of who won the round. But if you said who, who got more hurt or damaged in the round, it's not even close. Norton clearly won it that way. Uh, I had to just give it to Ali for some reason, because I found myself wavering, which I normally don't in scoring fights. But I just thought, well, if you've won two minutes and 20 seconds of the round and somebody steals 20 seconds, that seems unfair to not give the 220. Um, But maybe, but but that's just a subjective way to score it. I don't know that that's the right way to score it. If you were like, no, fuck that. Norton should have knocked him out. Give, Give him the round. I would be fine with it. So
1: well, uh, and and I mean, sorry to interject, but I yeah. guess just one way I try to think about it, and it's obviously not a precise way, it's not objective, it's just as subjective as any other way, but I almost kind of think about it as like, you know, what was the visible uh, mm-hmm. result of that punch landing, and the visible result was, I mean, Ali wasn't hurt, you know, he wasn't visibly hurt, he took it, and so it's kind of like, well, damn. You know what I mean? I I, I want <laughs> to score it for Norton, but it didn't do as much to either hurt Ali or deter him from what he was doing. So it's kind of like, eh, well then. So I thought that was probably Ali's round. However, I'm with you. It was close. It was not easy. And if somebody gave it to Norton, I wouldn't argue it too much.
2: No. And I mean, by the 10th round, Norton comes back. Ali's still dancing. Yeah. Norton's pressure is yielding him at least several very heavy body shots and Norton's effectiveness with jabs is just also something that is hard not to notice just to see Ali's head be knocked back as viciously and violently as it is. I thought it was a pretty clear Norton round. So at this point I have the fight even at five, five. And I
1: think that I, yep. I think that that's also, I think that's also how I had it.
2: So, I mean, this fight also, I mean, as I think most people know, unlike the first two that were 12 rounds, we've got a 15-round fight here. So, we go into the 11th, and Ali suddenly, it's just weird turns in this fight. Ali is far more willing to engage, um, and yet he struggles to win any of the exchanges. So, you can see why he's been avoiding it so long. Yeah. it's it's the first time in all the three fights where Norton suddenly goes on the ropes. It's an interesting moment. Um, Ali does nothing. Ali has no ability to accomplish anything with Norton on the ropes, which is why Norton is pretty comfortable to do it just as kind of a silly theatrical thing. Um, but uh, yeah, just Ali is not able to, ha- to really create any kind of uh, implication of damage with any of the blows he la- he lands. So it's another thing with scoring this fight is just there's no marks on Norton's face as there weren't in the right. first two fights, really. What's
1: good for the goose is good for the gander as far yeah. as what I just said. You know, like what's the visible effect of what Ali's doing? And sometimes it's nothing.
2: Sometimes nothing. nothing. And, and Norton closes out the round really strongly. And also he's clearly very angry and lands a few punches. I think one of them was after the bell, but I thought Ali did enough. Uh, to, to give him the round I it was very hard to give him the round because I thought it was even but I was trying not to have any even rounds and if it wasn't even I went with kind of a compu box way of scoring it but I just he landed more so that's the way I went there and 12th round again it's just the nature of this fight Norton comes back and um, a lot of his aggression this time is paying off with um. Chase, you know, chasing driving Ali to the ropes. It's kind of in the story of the fight. And and yet Ali uh does have an unusual flurry, which is again kind of a throwback flurry that you don't really see in any of any of the three fights where he just like opens up and suddenly you're just kind of like, why doesn't he do this more? Like when he gets his weight behind his punches, like fuck, he's a dangerous man. But he's, he's does, not looked dangerous in the whole thing. Yeah,
1: he does almost seem like when he finally sits down and lands that he's able to stun Norton just enough, which I think is like, also, it, it jibes with reality because anytime Norton fought a puncher and the puncher landed, it didn't end well. But yeah. it also speaks to, one, you know, Muhammad Ali's not really a puncher, and also he wasn't really stepping into his shots for most no. of these fights because he was afraid to.
2: Yeah, didn't commit. Um, And yet, 13th round the best slugging of the entire trilogy happens and, it, and it's really a rare kind of exciting moment in the fight. In terms there were of a
1: couple happened. rounds. There was like one round in the first, maybe two rounds in the second. And there were a couple rounds in this third fight too, where there were a few moments where I was like, all right, all right.
2: And, and I, I mean, in my notes, I just had, it, it, it looked like when Leonard was like, fuck it, I'm going to take this guy on. I'm going to beat Duran at his own game. Um, And it was really fun to watch with these two slugging it out. But I thought it was really clear that Norton got the best of it. And um, suddenly Norton is ahead, 7-6. And um, next round, Ali's pity pat punches. Um, One of the things that was kind of interesting in this fight was to see, I've never seen this before, Maybe, maybe you have, is Ali started doing the stiff arm like Larry Holmes used to do, just to create distance just like like to get it in the face of Norton. And I've never seen a fighter swing at the hand, like swing at the forearm. And Norton is swinging like mean uppercuts and hooks at the elbow of Ali. And, and I was like, fuck, like he could break his elbow. Like, like these are yep. huge shots. I mean, I've seen you kind of knock it away, but he wasn't knocking away. He was trying to hit it. Like it was like a one of those, those punching bags at a fair or something like that, where he's trying to whack the the speed bag. So that was sort of interesting, but I, I thought, um, I, you know, it, it's just a, it's such a close fight at this point. And I mean, where, where are you in terms of, I mean, going into the, the last two rounds, I think like, this is where for me, Norton kind of pulled it out. Um, yeah. Even though I only end up giving him the fight by one round, but. Uh, I, th-
1: I think <laughs> you gave Ali a round. I didn't give him maybe, hmm. but, um, but I also, I mean, it's not like it was like, Oh my God, Norton beat the ever loving shit out of him. Well, some of these rounds were close. And like you said, it was going back and forth. Like Ollie would win one Norton won, Ollie won, Norton won. But I also thought that there were instances in which kind of like you, you alluded to um, there were back, there was back and forth action or times where they were both throwing and it was like, it was thrilling and entertaining and good. But it almost felt like Ali was getting credit for his bravery rather than for anything he was actually landing or the damage he was actually doing,
2: like um, like Jordan getting like Jordan getting foul shots kind of thing. Because yes. of the whole you you have to give it to him. And you're right. Psychologically, you're always just kind of like, oh my god, Ali is so amazing. Even <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if and, and if it, it was.
1: Up. It yeah. really was. Because that's like we were saying with the first, you know, he's taking shots and he's showing, he is showing his bravery. It's not like sure. it's false, but at the same time, you're just sitting, I, at least I'm sitting there thinking like, okay, the bravery is good, but he's getting punched. And so, I mean, yeah, I, I can't give him those rounds if he's getting out punched. And it also not only, like I said earlier, not only is he getting out punched, but he looks uncomfortable. He yeah. looks like he doesn't want to be in that position. And yeah, he's fighting his way out of it, but not as effectively. So I, I don't want to give him credit for like I want to give him credit for that, but I, I can't. So yeah. I think that's where I was. So going into the last two rounds, I think I had it uh let's see. Uh gosh. I'd have to, I'm sure try, I'm trying to do some quick backwards math. Oh, yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I had I already had it with uh, Norton taking seven rounds. So after thirteen rounds, seven to six, Norton. Sorry, and then me too, me too. And so I, so I did think it was close enough. Obviously, that Norton kind of needed, you know, quote unquote, needed the last two rounds. But he had clearly, like the first two fights, done more of the damage. He had uh the rounds that he was winning. He was winning far bigger. He was making Ollie uncomfortable, et cetera. So, these last two rounds, Ollie needed these last two rounds. It's Yankee Stadium. He's the heavyweight champion, you know. And again, he bravely finished this fight flat footed. He did it in a way where, you know, he probably shouldn't, but did. And I I get it. I get why they gave him the fight, but I just don't think he won those rounds.
2: I don't either. I mean, 14th round, I thought Ali did give a final kind of burst of energy mm-hmm. and offense, yeah. um, but the pity pat punches that he's throwing and they are, uh, are frequently interrupted by really solid punches in response by Norton. Norton is continuing to out jab Ali. Which is interesting because I mean, Ali's most famous punch is that brilliant jab, but here it is. And, and timing speed damage. It's not even close. I mean I mean uh, and and the end of the round Norton lands a, a huge right hand to yeah. to close out the round so I thought it was pretty clear round for Norton so it's eight six so the best that Ali can do in the last round, I thought was create a draw and I didn't think he did Ali he does come out dancing um, he is able to control the round until the end where Norton corners him again and once he gets cornered, um, I just, I just thought, you know, Norton is doing so much damage. Um, yeah, it's it's it, it's a weird one to score because it it really is just punches landed versus damage over and over and over again. I found this fight makes you ask that yep. because because Norton is not able because Ellie is moving away and so unwilling to engage, really, um, to to be able to gain advantage with with like what tools he has so uh i thought it was interesting as the fight is finally scored it resolutely is booed in yankee stadium clearly yankee stadium believed that norton had won and um and the way that norton just leans over and balls his eyes out was interesting too with just how much grit and determination he had it's it's uh it's an unusually like it's like one of the only kind of emotional moments of the whole fight i mean the whole trilogy for me is you're feeling like determination 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 but it's clear like that's the end of it you can tell he feels it like i'm not going to get another crack yeah. at this and and i think he won it so i it's it's tough
1: yeah it's uh so he clearly i thought won the first fight i thought that Ollie could have taken the second fight, but that Norton deserved the third fight as well. Um, And thus he should have been heavyweight champion. And uh, it's sad. It's sad at the end of the fight to see him. I mean, he weeps like unbridled sobs and tears. Like the guy's sitting there just like somebody very close to him just died. It's it's awful. And um, you feel for him. You have to feel for him because he did come so close and he was in a way a victim of not being as popular. And so, uh, you know, he gets a, he gets a shot a couple of years later against Larry Holmes too, and comes damn close in that fight and an incredible fight. But you can tell, like, like you said, you can tell it's, it's almost as if he he's able to read that, like, this was my shot and this was it. And I thought I did it, but they didn't give it to me.
2: And, and he publicly said after losing this fight, I mean, this is, as we mentioned, September 28th, 1976, but he said that he never was motivated to fight in the same way ever again, and he still kept fighting for quite a while. He fought for another five years um, with, with very mixed results, but, but a, a really unfortunate ending where I think, like, my introduction to Ken Norton was him being the highlight real victim to Jerry Cooney yeah. on the way up. Cooney, I mean, it's a knockout that's reminiscent of what Ray Mercer did to Tommy Morrison in terms of they're both kind of propped up and suspended by being against the ropes as somebody just throws four or five shots that all are are knocking you out cold on your feet, but you're suspended so you can just keep getting hit with more. I mean, it's brutal. could have easily could have killed them sort of thing, you know, the, the, the accumulation or just single-handedly one of those shots, it was just brutal. Um, so it was weird that like I had to work completely backwards to deconstruct the legacy of Ken Norton from that introduction to him when I was a kid. And I mean, the last fight of his career was May 11th, 1981. Before that wins a decision against Randall um, <laughs> uh, takes a vicious knockout loss to uh, ernie shavers as well takes a split decision loss to larry holmes but um it's a weird career for ken norton i mean i in a weird way i think ken norton almost borderline is as known for being the dad of ken norton jr the great linebacker in the nfl as for his boxing career in a funny way and and i think that's kind of a travesty but i but
1: Sorry, I, I didn't mean to interrupt. Sorry.
2: No, no, no. I, I don't have more to say, but I just like I that's a weird thing to say, because it's incredible what he was able to do against Ali. And I think he could have done it to any version of Ali. And yet, like when I was a kid and and following football, which I don't do anymore. I remember just being like the, the really great Ken Norton is junior, not senior. And, and that's weird to say
1: to me it it feels a lot like wilfred benitez because mm. they always talk about the four kings right they're always talking about i mean and rightly so Hagler, leonard hearns duran and um it, it makes sense but it's almost like you know and i i understand that benitez never got that crack at Hagler, so it's not complete and stuff but um you know it's really underrating a truly great fighter and in a lot of ways, it feels that way with Ken Norton when they're talking about, you know, they get Ali and then Foreman and Frazier together. And they kind of just lump those three together. You know, those are the that era's like threesome or whatever. And it's like, well, what about Ken Norton? You know, he kind of belongs in there. I'm not saying that he beat all these guys. I'm just saying he kind of belongs in there, too. Uh, so it it kind of gives me a similar feeling to, to Benitez and not kind of being the fifth wheel of the four kings, you know?
2: Yeah, no, it is is a weird thing because, you know, I I think he was really underappreciated in a lot of ways. But this is what happens. I mean, is the way in which people are fairly or unfairly reevaluated on the basis of an iconic win or an iconic loss? I mean, Buster Douglas. They're, they're always going to revisit what he did against Tyson, no matter what, despite the fact of how awful he looked in terms of never meeting his potential. He could have been a very good fighter, but he was never disciplined about realizing his potential in any other fight. <laughs> and it, it doesn't make any difference. If you have that, it is never taken away from you, and you're always worthy of a constant five-year anniversary, 10, 20, 25, 50, 100-year anniversary, you've got the greatest upset in the history of sports. And here, I think with Norton, what he did with Ali is just, for a lot of people, really overshadowed, I think, especially with the next generation, in terms of you're you're really the the way of prop. You're, what, you, what you represent is propping up somebody like George Foreman or somebody like Jerry Cooney on the way up to the larry holmes fight and how lucrative that was but we kind of forget how good you were and it, it's unfortunate because if ali is as great as everybody wants to make him out to be you you have to raise the stock of norton um, based these based on these performances and how much trouble a lot of people ali forget
1: had. how that, that's how that works
2: it should be i think i think to to be judicious about it um and that being said this was I don't ever want to watch these three fights ever again, <laughs> you know, because they're they're not tremendously rewatchable. It's not that they don't have value, but it's it's one of those books or movies or albums that like to listen to at once has huge value. But it's not it's not like kind of what I was suggesting to you before we started recording. Bo Holyfield are super exciting trilogies to, to revisit. There's so many others that are like that. Uh, this wasn't that, despite the fact that I think it was meaningful and important, and it's a shame that it's not taken to account in both of their legacies more.
1: Yeah, it's it's very much a part of the story, very much a part of the narrative of the 1970s of, and that times and the heavyweight championship, but largely forgotten, largely kind of swept under the rug for the bigger moments, for the more, you know, more viral moments and whatnot, which. I get because some of those viral moments are absolutely outstanding. And even in Ken Norton's uh, case, you know, despite the fact that he did get that win over Ali, which is huge. uh, Even in his case, you know, he has a couple of other accomplishments that are incredible that even the split decision loss to Larry Holmes, one of the greatest heavyweight fights of all time. um, You know, it's, it's unfortunate that he does wind up getting remembered for kind of being the, the, you know, this bad second half of Muhammad Ali or something like that when that's, it's not really the truth. There's more to it than that. So hopefully we did a pretty decent job of bringing that into this depiction of the trilogy, which was like you said, it's, it's at the very least interesting if not super watchable.
2: No, it, it it's, um you know, I think, I think seeing any superstar leaving leaving their prime and entering into a twilight especially a twilight that you know contributes to a pretty sad last couple chapters is a weird place to go that's a little uncomfortable yeah and and so that that was kind of my feeling through this was just it's another way of i i remember when i first fell in love with boxing and my brothers talking about my infatuation with mike tyson on the rise you know being oh my god he's 20 At the same time that Michael Jackson just has the best uh, best selling album of all time, and he's only 24 or something. I am so lucky to have these people that are going to be there forever and be the best ever. And at their peak where you think it's a beginning is actually an ending. They're never going to be as good again. And you just didn't know it. You didn't know that they'd already hit their apex and were already on the descent on the other side. And uh, with Ali, I think you have like a much bigger period of time. But I mean, it's sort of like what Roy Jones is. Roy Jones is another example that's almost a more extreme version of Ali is he's so underappreciated how good he was because because of how bad he looked once he slowed down in a way that Ali Ali was able to I mean, Ali had a chin and Jones did Jones Jones did not reveal a bunch of other sides to his greatness once he slowed down whereas Ali did that's what separates them but I think offensively and talent athleticism like I think they're on par in many ways but in terms of being able to take a shot unfortunately in this game if you slow down and those punches start to land and you can't get out of the way then we see another side of you and it yeah. reveals it, and 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 I don't I don't even know like should we evaluate Roy on the basis of him in his prime or should we take into account well what happens if somebody could catch up to him and hit him because we know if somebody could hit him clean he's out he's out before he hits the canvas even from people that are not known for being lethal punchers whereas Ali of course took on every great puncher there's ever been and. Even when his jaw was broke, maybe he fought another 10 rounds or 11 rounds. So, yeah.
1: That's where they get you. You know, they get you on the descent. And I guess the last thing I'll have to say is that, man, I've been watching a lot of documentaries about mountaineering. And they talk about, you know, the 14 peaks that are above 8,000 meters, right? Because that's the death zone. That's where the human body starts to eat itself. Like, you can't live above a certain altitude, you start to physically die. And so what happens is that these mountain climbers, they view summiting the mountain, like that's that is that's the top. You get to the top, you celebrate, woo, you know, Everest, K2, Annapurna, whatever, not realizing that the vast majority of people who die on those mountains die on the way down. Yeah. And that's why, because you get to the top and think I'm done. Not realizing you have to do what you just did only harder now.
2: That's a good point.
1: That's where they get you on the way down, man. You know, and I'm not saying that a great boxing career is the same, but you know, it's, it's very similar, you know, on the way down, on the way down is when you get hit. And so that's when we, that's what we saw with Ali. I mean, to a lesser extent with Ken Norton too, but the descent was kind of rough.
2: Well, and I think I think the other thing the other thing on this as well is that what what allows somebody to go into this deep end and uh, try to try to risk doing something that could kill you and do something that could lift up generations with wealth and 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 you know have all of this benefit. And you can become a global icon and everything. This is a childhood dream that very quickly we are dissuaded against because we need to take on the responsibility of being realistic and, and all of that. So what it's going to encourage is anybody that gets to sustain this like IV drip that I can I can find my way out there, whatever that is, and whatever has sustained you to, to do it in a way that the rest of us fall away and get dropped into realistic expectations for things, um, once they hit that summit, there's a sense of, what do I do now? It's it's that old, like Peggy Lee song, is that all there is to a degree? And maybe I'll just do it again, but it's never going to feel the same way. They, yeah. all, all of these guys exactly. say, it's the way up that's pleasurable. Once you get there, it's very frightening. It's very isolating. It's terrifying. Fame is a prison. There's all this pressure of all these people gunning for me. And I have all of these new obstacles that I have no equipment to deal with. And a lot of what drove Ali as huge assets from the gods that he's endowed with, also become the things that punish him the most. Ultimately, they all become curses. Every asset yep. becomes a liability toward the end, and, including his chin. Yeah, including if, if his not chin.
1: especially his chin.
2: Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's a thing we know with the the big guys in a weird way, are kind of lucky that the punches they're taking that knock them out uh, can do so without an accumulation of blows. It can just be one, one quick shot or two shots, as opposed to the little guys requiring so many. So, I mean, the, the the little guys are the ones who die so much more frequently than the big guys, oddly enough. It seems counterintuitive, but, but no, Ali is, a. it's really weird that he must be one of the ultimate gateway drugs into boxing. And on the other hand, he absolutely is a cautionary tale. Indeed. At the same yeah. time. Indeed.
1: Yeah, it's it's insane. But hopefully we, we offered a fairly realistic depiction of the man who obviously was a myth and a legend in his own right. And there's a lot of rhetoric. There's a lot of stuff that goes into there that's sometimes not driven by reality. And sometimes the reality is you have to stop and watch these fights. Actually watch them see what happened in them and not go by what other people are, you know, fawning over from decades. Oh my God, you can't imagine what kind, you know, we've all heard it. We know it. And not saying that it's not true. But sometimes when you look at it with a little more more critical eye, it's a little different. So hopefully we we offered that today. And Brenda, I, I appreciate you doing your homework, man, because I know it wasn't easy.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the career the career, I think, of the, the most inspirational boxer of all time, Bobby Chez, is somebody that's always told me, I may not boast a Mensa IQ, but I do the homework anyway and try to pretend that I, I can get there someday.
1: Yep, you fake it until you make it. <laughs> exactly. Exactly what, that's what, exactly what Ali did through the Norton Trilogy. That's what we're doing through this podcast.
2: And in the meantime, I just get drunk at every opportunity that I see a pair of keys to get behind the wheel.
1: Yep. Well, that's exactly what you got to do. You know, you got to try to emulate the legends. That's how you do it.
2: And if I get arrested, it just emboldens me to do it again, even better. That's right. More Don't dumb. do
1: that. Readers or listeners or watchers. Don't do that. We're just kidding. Don't do that. We are that's, totally kidding. Yeah, that's a huge asterisk. <laughs> just in case anybody is <laughs> taking that. Don't do it.
2: Don't. We are mocking road. a serial offender of drinking and driving. Exactly. A bad idea.
1: And not the victims, just him just him
2: <laughs>
1: just him all right a little humor just to to sweet <laughs> yeah, yeah. this kind of sad Sweeten the deal yeah. no oh, brenda i do appreciate you you uh doing your homework too because i know it's it takes some time and i know you took took some notes and whatnot and i, I do appreciate it and uh that was
2: fun. It was fun
1: speaking of appreciation though look we we really appreciate everybody who listens in and who subscribes if you did listen in to this show thank you and go ahead and subscribe to whichever podcast app you may have listened to listened to it through. If you watch, hi, hello, thank you so much. And go ahead and subscribe on YouTube. Leave us a comment, a reply. We appreciate those sorts of things. But social media—it's where everybody's at. The show is also on Facebook and Instagram, the Knuckles and Gloves podcast, that is. Also on Twitter, but individually, we're on Twitter. So check out Bryn there, Bryn Jonathan Butler at Brynicio, B R I N. I C I O me, Patrick M Connor. I'm there. Give us a shout, man. Say hello. And Bren, I'll talk to you soon, bro. Thanks so much. You got it, man. Thank you. Take it, there, everybody. All right. That was fun. Uh,